Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from uh, Phi Slamma Jamma, Alabama. And Ray, we have been setting the folks up. Phi Slamma Jamma? Well, I'm back to the old days of college basketball. When yeah, that's that's a final four. Yeah, that was a that was a great team. But I was trying to figure out something that rhymed with Alabama, and that's what I came up with. Alabama, Jamma, Alabama. Okay, you know we have been building subtly and maybe even not so subtly over the past few sessions how we want to deal with the concept of compromise as a strategy in managing conflict. And one of the things that I know we're going to position ourselves or take the position that we view compromise quite a bit differently than what most people do. In fact, even before we started this podcast, I was suggesting that I think most people find compromise as something not only acceptable, but almost as a go-to strategy. They think, you know, that's what life is about. That's what negotiation is about, is compromising and finding compromise that make things work. And we're simply not going to take that position. And so want to get that kicked off and let you go after that. And I'll push back. In the pushing back, I think we need to probably spend more time talking about the way we are thinking about compromise versus the way the world in general tends to think about compromise as a concept. So fire away. Okay. And in this uh, Thomas Kilman model and the use of I win, you lose, I win, you win commentary, compromise is really the strategy in which you create two losers. It's you lose and I lose. It is the process of negotiating an outcome where neither of us gets what we want. Both of us have to give up something to get a solution, to get to a resolution. And so I think very often people think of compromise as a very positive, productive way to approach outcomes. When in fact, compromise is a strategy, is a process by which both people are going to lose something. Let me jump in there. That that was the thing I was thinking about. Well, obviously, in some form of compromise, I think I've won something. But what I'm hearing you say is that, hey, but the biggest component of that experience of compromise is the sense of loss, that uh, whether you know it or not, Mr., Miss, you are losing here, and that you're experiencing that loss directly. And that might be a distinction you had said is the distinctions between collaboration and compromise. At least in collaboration, I feel like I'm winning. The predominant feeling is even though I may have said, okay, I'm going to give that up in order to truly win on the things that I want to win on. That's collaborating or finding the third alternative, which means we both won completely. But with compromise, my strongest feeling is one of losing. Is that where you're headed? Absolutely. I tend to think of collaboration as the full win strategy. Mm. It's getting a maximum positive result. I look at compromise as minimizing the damage, minimizing the loss, but not maximizing the good. There is no compromise that I've ever experienced that maximizes the good, hmm. gives you the best possible outcome. Hmm. So that's why I say it's a seri- it's a loss. Now, a lot of people go into a situation and they compromise, but what they're really doing is they're ready to give up something that really doesn't matter that much to them anyway. 
Mm-hmm. They make it sound like it's a serious loss. Well, that's something I don't want to lose. That's something that is going to cost me. Well, in fact, probably doesn't. So w- when you're doing that, you're using that as a model for compromise. I can understand why you think you're not losing anything because you're not giving up anything of any consequence. But in real compromise, when you go into a situation and you've got to give up something that you don't want to give up, then you're at a loss. You're, you, there's a loss being created. And that's why I don't recommend it as the first strategy. Now, I'm not naive enough to believe that there are times it's necessary. You, you've got to compromise. But that needs to be, as you've said before, a last resort. It's where you've tried everything else that you think might produce a best outcome. And then say, okay, if compromise is necessary, here's what I'm willing to do. Here's what I'm willing to see as a loss. You know, this position, the one we're taking, really is highly supported by the recent New York Times national bestseller called Never Split the Difference, Yep. where Voss, the author, really argues this should not be a strategy you should employ in, in negotiating with others, where you're working at splitting the difference, which is the very typical statement for compromise. Let's just split the difference here. Let's compromise on this. And his strong argument is, you just don't want to do that. That's not a successful strategy in negotiating, and it's not a successful strategy in managing conflict. So I think there's some strong support for the position and getting people to think, getting our listeners to think, to reevaluate, if you will, where they are on this concept of compromise and begin to say, no, it's in my best interest and in everybody's best interest to not think about that as the best go-to strategy, right? Yeah, I would think that your attitude going into a situation where compromise is a strategy you're going to use is that you ought to be reluctant. Mm. There ought to be a definite emotional reluctance to use that. Now, again, I'm not naive enough, silly enough to think that every situation can be resolved without having to ever compromise. We're just saying, I'm just saying, put it as a last resort. Don't start with it. Consider other options before you go to compromise. Because once you've gone to compromise, you've announced to others you're willing to give ground in a way that will not produce the best result. I think in a comparison, the physician's oath is do no harm. But that oath never says to do the maximum good. Mm. So physicians start from a defensive standpoint in their treatment, with the exception of House (laughs) and his approach, which was a less he can cause near-death phenomena. He doesn't feel like he's done enough. But I think it's, it's a, in a manner of speaking, the same kind of thing. I don't want to use compromise because I'm committed to wanting to do the maximum amount of good. And I know when I start with compromise, what I'm really doing is just minimizing the damage. And I know that in, in particularly in the last couple of years, with our political environment, compromise seems like the best we can do because there's no give. Everything is just so divided. But I've never thought of politicians' use of compromise as producing the best results. When you think of why do people have such a bad view of our government? Why do people have such a bad view of politicians, political life? Well, it's because they view compromise as their number one strategy. They view compromise as the best method to get results. And what people know intuitively is it doesn't produce good results. Well, one it of the often things, produces things that you can live with, but not things that you like. One of the things you trigger for me is the idea that if we choose compromise or we have an orientation towards compromise, we will not work on a synergetic response. That is, we will not seek. We have no reason to seek a third alternative that in all likelihood is the best possible outcome because there's no reason to do that. We've already gone in saying, we'll just compromise, give some, we'll get them to give some, and we'll go on versus say, no, we have a responsibility to exert the level of energy that really can get the best response possible. And so that really triggers in me this thought that when we go into conflict, 
it's our job to use the conflict situation to seek out the best possible alternatives and not simply say, what I want to do is get out of this conflict as quickly and as easy as I can, which oftentimes is the choice that then drives us towards compromise versus no, now that we're in it, let's see if we can find an alternative that really works for everyone involved. What seems to me to be the value to compromise for people who are in political positions, whether it's politics or not, whether you're in management leadership of an organization or you're in a you're in a political environment, governmental political environment, is to be able to say to your constituency after the fact that you managed to get a positive result, mm-hmm. you managed to get a gain. Mm-hmm. Well, in fact, fundamentally, that's not entirely true. You've lost often as much as you've gained or sometimes more, but at least you can say you gained something. Mm -hmm. And I think that's often the reason that people who are engaged in some sort of political environment will go to compromises so they can at least say to their voters or constituents, I didn't lose it at all. We We got something from this. And not just political. I mean, I think about the corporations that we work with and consult with. And so often when they get involved in negotiations, whether it's labor negotiations, whether it's negotiations with what's the right thing for us to do, they often don't come to the table with the idea in mind, let's collectively seek the best solution. Let's make sure it's best for you. And let's make sure it's best for us. And let's not leave the table until we've done that. What they come in with with is their list of demands or their list of concerns. The other side comes in with their list of demands or concerns. And what I'm trying to do is get as much as I can from my list or for my list, rather than say, let's get this thing going in a way where we're going to find the best possible solution. And so again, when we say we're not going to go in with the mindset that compromise is where we want to be or what we want to do, we gain the potential of really working towards that best solution. That's what I'm hearing you consistently argue for. Right. And I would say that organizations who use a lot of compromise and decision-making, their people will say it feels very political to mm. be this organization. Interesting. Yep. So yep. there's a carryover. And so I use political, not just to mean governmental politics, but even in organizations where you feel there's a political environment, it's because a lot of decisions are made by compromise. Right. Hiring decisions, promotion decisions, they get this process going of where we're going to try and minimize the damage that this decision will will do. Great observation. Well, let's uh, let's move on to these elements that we talked about, the other strategies. One is context. With compromise, this is generally considered the let's make a deal strategy. And the most appropriate context is when you've reached an impasse that could result in the loss of everything we're in conflict about, then you choose compromise. Hmm. But until that impasse has been reached and everything could be lost, we want to stop short of compromise. We want to use another strategy. But uh, in, in this context, the conflict has great value to both parties, has great importance to both parties. That mm. should be there. Mm. There should be a sense of almost equal power mm. on both parties, that there's not a power imbalance. Compromise is going to work. There had better be a kind of a power balance. That both of us see the solution that we're going after as a uh, byproduct of compromise is a temporary solution because it's not likely to be the best solution. So we'll use it temporarily, but we don't see it as probably a permanent fix. Mm. Also, one of the reasons why you use compromise to context is there's a time constraint. So if we don't have the time that it might take to dialogue and collaborate, we might have to go to compromise because of the time constraint. And then finally, it allows us to create a a backup plan. It allows us to keep from going to a permanent plan. It allows Mm -hmm. us to create a stopgap measure. That's the context in which I think compromise will work best. And you're saying those are the contextual elements that say, 
here's a place where you could use compromise and say it makes sense. Right. Even there, it almost strikes me that we're suggesting we're going to come back at this again. This clearly didn't end the story on this one in terms of the conflict. We're going to have to deal with it in a different way to get a permanent solution. I would be interested in any of our listeners writing us or calling in or giving us a heads up that they have been in conflicts where compromise has produced permanent solutions that are incredibly valuable. Hmm. That would be good for me because it would back me off of being quite so negative about the prospects of using compromise. We could even use the word dogmatic. <laughs> <laughs> we could we could use it. I, I, I would prefer not to. Skills needed to pull this off. You need to be good at negotiating. That's a primary skill. If you're gonna if you're gonna compromise, you better be able to negotiate. Now tell me what you mean by that. What we're going to give and what we're going to take. Hmm. We need to identify where the pieces are that I can live with and where the pieces are that I can't. Ah, okay. Uh, also, you need to be able to uh, find a middle ground, what you were saying. We need to be able to find that space where both of us can get comfortable in and build off of that middle ground, build off of that agreed upon consensual space. Uh, we need to be prepared to make concessions. Part of the skill in this is that I have to be willing to concede at some point and not be a sore loser. I need to be committed to a concession if necessary. And really, if I'm going to compromise, I need to be good at assessing the value of what's going on in the conflict. Where's my value? Where are my values? And where are the other individual's values? And what do we not want to compromise? Where do we not want to engage that will cause even a greater impasse? And I'm almost hearing you say, if we're not good at that skill, if we're not good at assessing value, we could lose a lot more than we ate bargained for. That is, in compromising, we walk away and say, wow, I gave way more than I exactly yeah Mm. it's like the feeling we have when we go to buy a car Mm. like we're negotiating with the salespeople and we find out later we didn't negotiate at all Mm -hmm. they got entirely what they wanted or that's deflating that that's annoying yes finally in keeping with the other strategies we've talked about what happens if you overuse this well if you overuse compromise as a strategy you lose the big picture You lose sight of where you really want to go long term because you're doing everything in the moment. You're doing everything in the now Hmm. and you're sacrificing the future for the present, which is to say the long term goals you may have walked into any situation with, you're probably going to sacrifice in some fashion. If you overuse compromise, you begin to lose trust. There's a trust factor that you you no longer count on. You just count on the fact that I'm going to have to beat these people at their own game. I'm going to have to find a way to win in areas they don't want me to win. So there's a trust that gets lost. There's a values compromise often that gets engaged that that is demoralizing, deflating, negative. So one of the interesting aspects of this to me as you're sharing it is that if we're in a group setting and we find ourselves as a group consistently compromising our decisions, consistently compromising as individuals, trust goes down in that group. What we begin to lose is a sense of trust because we're consistently losing. And after a while, you say, there's no real reason to stay in here. There's no real reason to believe in these folks because I'm constantly losing every time I get involved in the conversation with them. So that sure. that's helpful with the idea of saying, this now represents another good reason not to see compromise as a go-to strategy because you're actually eroding the level of trust and even reducing the kind of values you brought into the conversation. Is that what I'm hearing? Right. Hmm. And I would go so far as to say that if compromise is the primary strategy used in conflict situations in either groups or with individuals, it creates a cynical climate. Hmm. Talk a bit more about that. Yeah. Elaborate on that. I I have to say that 
the primary model of compromise is a most frequently used strategy is our government. Hmm. Everything that goes wrong with our government is a byproduct of their intent, their intention to compromise hmm. and see what they can get from each other. Mm-hmm. And the more you do that, the more cynical the climate becomes, the more cynical the environment is. I know going in, this is not a matter of positive values winning out or the fact that we can trust each other. I know going in, we're going to have to fight tooth and nail to get the littlest thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I tend to think when you're a fan of compromise, just look at the government and see what results, how those processes, how those decisions get made and the results you produce. And so when a group compromises a lot as a key strategy, it's not unlikely that we'll begin to refer to that group as a compromised group. That what we'll actually see is their identity takes on that sense of compromise. And so we begin to think of them, well, you're just a compromise. There's really no reason in dealing with you because uh, you don't seem to stand for anything. You've not pushed towards anything strongly. You've just compromised yourself and everyone around you. So I can see where that begins to take on an identity of its own when you begin to overuse it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're, believe it or not, almost at time. And I think what we need to do is maybe talk about where we go next. If you would, maybe summarize these five sets in terms of where you think, if possible, priority strategies ought to be employed, what you should reserve, which is what we've been talking about, and then maybe even comment on where we head after this. Okay. Well, again, three C's, two A's. Competition, collaboration, compromise, avoidance and accommodation. And I think it would be clear that our preferences of people start with collaboration if possible. If the context is available, start with collaboration. It has the most promising possibility of a uh, maximally maximum positive outcome. And I would say go into that knowing that that takes work that you also have to be concerned about the other person winning because collaboration only occurs when both people win. So you can't go in with only concerns about your own winning. So you got to find out where they win and how they win in order to make collaboration successful. So you do need to realize using that strategy requires more of you than maybe some of the others do. Right. And And I might blindly say, put collaboration first. And when collaboration can't work and the context isn't suitable, then use the context as a determiner of which mm. strategy you use. I wouldn't put them in one, two, three, four, five. Here's the best. Here's second. No, I would say collaboration is far out in front. Start there, mm-hmm. and then after that, use the context. Mm-hmm. See if you can find. See if you can surround the conflict with the variables that determine which strategy would be best to use. Makes sense. Now, where we're heading next is to actually spend some time going through some case studies that have been given to us. People have written in, people have called in and shared with us their own conflict situations and said, can you recommend a better way of dealing with this? Can you think this through with me? Can you two be a thought partner in terms of thinking through communication-wise, what would be the best way to deal with a particular conflict? So listeners and folks out there that are plugged into the podcast, we'll probably be spending two, three, maybe four episodes just on pulling out some conflict situations and speaking to those very specifically. Exactly. Exactly. And we'll be able to, because we'll have none of the real details treated almost casually. It will not emotionally mean much to us. That's right. (laughs) And since they don't really affect us, but we're going to go ahead and deal with this. And we'll go go ahead and step into it and see if we can come up with some alternatives. That's right. Things that maybe people haven't thought of, things that could be used differently. 
And like we say at the end of our podcast, there's no problem so big, so difficult that we can't make it worse. Exactly. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or a situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast.